A sea of strange dreams is sweeping all around the world. This is our quest to decode them. I'm Alex Morgan. I'm a journalist and a vivid dreamer. And through this series, I'm exploring what our dreams reveal about the hidden depths of our minds. This time, we're joined by Michelle Elman, the author and body confidence coach. She lets us into her childhood dreams before we explore our dream theme of the week, which this time is dreams about relationships, including dreams about your ex. By our side, to make sense of it all will be Teresa Chung, the best-selling dream author and our dream catcher on the podcast. So make sure you're sitting or lying comfortably, tuck yourself in, and join us on the journey into your dreams. Now, just as we started recording there, Michelle, you reminded me it's actually been a few years, but we worked on a feature together a while ago. I know it's been, I mean, that tells you how long I've been in the industry. <laughs> it's been, what, four years? Four years, um, yeah. Which makes me feel very old that I'm like, oh, I'm a veteran now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, well, first of all, it's lovely to have you on the show. For people who don't know you, so much of your work has been around, you know, positive body image, uh, positive relationship boundaries, healthy, these kind of things. Um, but it, it's, it's a journey that's taken you, I think, it's fair to say, through a lot of high places and a lot of low places too. For people who are just meeting you, how would you summarise that journey you've been on? So, I, well, I would describe myself as a life coach. I'm an author, public speaker, kind of influencer, if that's lack of a better word. And how all of this started was I had a lot of surgeries when I was younger. So I had roughly 15 surgeries before the age of 20. And that left me with a lot of insecurities, um, a lot of issues around my scars, but also the trauma that came with the surgeries. And so I guess that launched me into trying to figure out my own problems. And when you're not ready to admit you need help, you tend to go into the personal development field and pretend that you need to help everyone else. And actually, it's a little bit more self-serving than that. Um, And once I dealt with my own trauma, I wanted to give those tools to other people. And so that's why I got trained and qualified as a life coach. After I um, did my psychology degree, I found that life coaching was a better um, mode of therapy for me than traditional psychology. And so that's how I fell into it. And all the influencer side of it happened as a beautiful accident where I just went viral for a picture and As I said, it's been many years because seven years ago, you just need to go viral for one picture. And that's how your following grew. Now you would have to do a lot more. So anytime everyone's like, how do I become an influencer? I'm like, don't ask me. I I became an influencer (laughs) at a time where you didn't need many skills. Um, But over the years, it's something that has grown. And every time I decide to change conversations or change topics, which I have gone Sometimes I want to talk more about life coaching stuff. Sometimes I want to talk about body image stuff. Sometimes, I mean, my latest post on Instagram was about um, exercise. Like whatever I want to talk about, I have a base there, an audience to talk to, which is really nice and just means I get to have that flexibility in my career. Well, I wanted to just say, uh, you know, about body positivity, body image and these kind of things. And one of the things that one of the messages that you've always had, which I really like is, you know, it doesn't matter what shape or size you are, exercise is for you. You can exercise and these things and I you know I grew up as when I was a kid I grew up as a very skinny boy I was very very skinny and people used to call you weedy and all these things you know and I always felt all oh, the gym's not for me I'm, I'm not I'm not a gym kind of guy and I know that for people who were also young and overweight they felt exactly the same thing and there was this idea that gyms were sort of 
um, y- y- like a trophy cabinet of the already perfect people. And what I love about your work is you're saying, hang on a minute, that is just one conception of the human body. We all have a right to be healthy, happy, and to enjoy our body. And so I just wanted to say it's a very powerful message for men and women. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm literally recording this in my gym kit, about to go to the gym after this. <laughs> I love exercise and I love movement now, but I almost got really angry at first around it because I was like, why for so long was it turned into such a negative and horrible experience for me? And do people know, like, as soon as I started to love it, I was like, do people know how fun it can be? Like, remove all the weight loss, the calorie conversation. In fact, remove all sorts of conversations around nutrition from exercise. And actually, we all loved exercise at one point. You loved to ride your bike before you called it spinning. You loved to dance in your kitchen before you called it Zumba. That's just capitalizing on something that you inherently like to do, but that was before you called it a workout. And even the word workout is like, it it implies that you shouldn't enjoy it. And all the words we use around exercise are really harsh language, like kill your workout, burn that fat. And I'm like, but can we just emphasize the fun in it? Because people would be more um, encouraged to move their body. And I do believe bodies naturally want to move. What makes us unlearn that is all of the other rubbish that we get taught around it, that it's to compensate for the food that you eat or to punish your body and all of those things make it not fun. And a lot of that, I think, comes from PE, unfortunately. And as with you, like you were embarrassed because you called weedy and lanky. I the was weedy and lanky. Fat, yeah. Yes, those two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I was the I was the I was the fat one at the back of the class, <laughs> like doing cross country, finishing twenty minutes after the last person. And as much as I was plus size, that wasn't the reason for it. I was six months out of a hospital thing yeah. and had exercise in six months. But no one thought, hey, maybe if we put this girl in an entire year, like because it was a it was a cross country class with our entire year, and she finishes twenty minutes after everyone else because she's just come out of hospital, that might just be a little bit embarrassing. Yeah. And like to the point where I got lost and the teacher had to come find me. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, Michelle, I think it is so important. And, you know, the, your first book, which was a, a few years ago now, uh, was, you know, it's called Am I Ugly? And um, I think what is so interesting is when you start that conversation about how people see their body, and this is something that comes across in dreams as well. A lot of people, how they see themselves will be expressed in their dreams. But so many people, even those that we might think are perfect or beautiful or whatever, hate the way they look. Mm. But also it's not actually related to the way you look at all and this is the part that confuses people that people who hate their bodies it's not your body confidence is not correlated to your body in any way so there are people who are really thin are what you would say is like a beauty ideal supermodel-esque and yet have the biggest insecurities in the world and yet there are people like me with scars on their body and plus size and whatever whatever other thing that people want to point out mixed race all these things And I think I'm beautiful. And that took a lot of work to get there. I wasn't always that way. But it's not about what you look like. Your body confidence is a separate thing that you have to work on. I just want to pick up on something you said earlier. You say, you know, you were dancing in your kitchen before you called it Zumba. I can tell you when I dance in the kitchen, people don't call it Zumba. They call it a lot of other things. But Zumba... (laughs) You should see me dancing in my kitchen. It's not dancing, trust me. To other people, (laughs) it would be like you're having a little bit... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like they don't actually know what I'm doing, but um, yeah, no, it's it's fun either way. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And um, 
you know, with your life coaching, so much of that, of course, is talking about the subconscious mind, even what you were saying there, your body confidence isn't necessarily about your body, it's about the way you view your body, which is a, a psychological, internal process. Um, so already having delved as you have into the world of the mind and the complexities of the mind, you must have come across dreams, dreaming, not just for yourself, but for your clients too. So, you know, are you somebody who is a vivid dreamer? Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I would say my best skill in life is to sleep. Like I am a very good <laughs> sleeper and I have these really, um, really vivid dreams where I could wake up and tell you word for word what happened and who said what. And also all the people who exist in that dream are real people in my life, which I think is quite unusual. And it, it it's quite, some of the time it's quite fun because it's like, have you ever imagined what it would be like if your like uni best friend met your first ever boyfriend? And I have those moments in my dream. And I'm like, and because what from the life coaching perspective is what I understand is that you actually have every part of a person that you've met inside of you. So if I were to say like, what, how would your mum respond to this question? You would have a version of your mum inside your head being able to actually reply to that question is it real no but you know the person well enough that you could almost concoct it and that's essentially what I believe happens in your dreams but also when people I don't know I try I've always believed that your dreams are almost the trash the trash can of your brain so like (laughs) the trash can I like that we've had a few analogies uh, hard drives, washing machines. Well, you know. it's like you're, when your brain's trying to get rid of stuff. So, like if you're um, if you're really scared about something and your body's trying to like process that fear and get it out of your body, it will give you a really scary dream to try to use that as almost a medium to get rid of that fear. That's the way I've always seen it. That's not based in anything factual. That's just how I've described it in my head, if that makes <laughs> sense. Um, but. I, I like the fact that I really vivid dreams, but also I sleep a lot. So my dreams can be quite long. <laughs> okay, Michelle. Well, this is your turn to take off the life coaching hat and to uh, enter our... our um, to be analysed. <laughs> to be analysed. Yes, indeed. To enter our dream surgery, as it were. And you brought two dreams that you would like to have analysed, to have them decoded. One of them seems very positive, which is nice, but the other one seems to be at the other end of the spectrum. So what have you got for us? Yeah, I used to have this dream. I think it was between the ages of seven and nine. And uh, there was a TV show called Madeline. And all I remember was, and I'm not even sure I've ever watched it, but I know it's about (laughs) a Parisian schoolgirl who goes to boarding school and they walk in two straight lines every time they go around Paris. I think it's Paris. Um, But I was Madeline in the dream. And... I just remember always waking up and not wanting the dream to end. So I'd go to sleep the next night, dreaming of it again. And if it, I could make it work, then I would continue on the dream. I would never relive the same dream. It would be like a continuation from the night before. Um, and I once told someone that, and they said it's a form of lucid dreaming, which is you being Ooh, like able to yes, control your yes, dream. Yes. And so I was like, Okay, well, I was seven, so <laughs> probably not. But that was that was the, I guess, the one repetitive recurring. But it wasn't really recurring because it was just it was like a storyline I had in my head, and I just wanted to continue the storyline and see where it went. So that's lovely that you, that you had that as a kid and you wanted to go back to it. Um, the one that doesn't sound so lovely though is your quote, your green dream. 
Yeah. So I had a dream that I, and I think this was, this was the worst, what I would class a nightmare and also the worst nightmare I had. So I don't, I'm, I'm a wimp when it comes to scary movies. Like what is scary to me is like, um, I was just watching Dawson's Creek and I had to skip the Halloween episode of Dawson's Creek where they're simply <laughs> telling scary stories. Like that if nothing scary was actually happening, they were just telling a scary story and I had to skip it. So I I guess this is my version of the nightmare where I had a green illness that turned me green and I was really scared I was going to spread the green illness to everyone else. But I was so embarrassed that I got the green illness. I didn't want to tell anyone I had the green illness. But I remember like being in the house and my parents being in the garden, them being like, come out and join us. And I didn't want to tell them that I had the green illness. But I also didn't couldn't come outside because then they would get get this green illness and a lot of the dream was like worrying that my parents were going to turn green. Sure, sure. And because you've had so many surgeries and this is, uh, you must have gone under anaesthetic a number of times. Have you ever dreamt or remembered dreams whilst you're under anaesthetic? No, but I would be very um, superstitious about uh, what I was thinking the moment I was put under anaesthetic. So within my first book, I talk about the fact that I used to repeat like as a mantra. And I mean, this is this is so slightly embarrassing, but I'm 11 years old. So, but princess fairies and rainbows, princess fairies and rainbows. And I used to say that because I was like, good dreams, like only good dreams. Um, and I made the mistake of when I was 11 years old watching a movie called Awake where they wake oh. up in the oh, middle. Oh, no, yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> Bad idea. Someone was like, you need to watch this movie. I think you'd like it. No, do not give the person who's always in surgery this dream. And so I started getting this paranoia about waking up in the middle of surgery. And like the worst thing was like waking up in the middle of surgery and then not being able to say or tell them so that you couldn't notify them that you were awake. Um, but so I used to be I used to be very conscious about what thoughts were allowed to enter my brain right before they put the mask on. I like that because I, I went under anaesthetic when I was 15. And just as I was going under, I still remember to this day, the doctor sort of, I was, I was getting a bit panicky, you know, sometimes first time and all this stuff. I remember the doctor pointing at the screens and going, look, it's just like Holby City. And I'm thinking, lots of things go wrong in Holby City. <laughs> well, I wish I'd had uh, angels, fairies, you know, yeah. these things. Um, well, goodness me, there is so much for us to dig into uh, there, Michelle. And I'm very lucky to say... <laughs> It's not my job to do that. I have the wonderful Teresa Chung as our dream catcher, our dream decoder on the show. Hello to you, Teresa. Um, I can imagine you sitting there listening to all that with glee. Absolutely. Let me get stuck in. Hello, Michelle. And I'm really thrilled to talk to you. I think your books, particularly your latest book, The Joy of Being Selfish, should be compulsory reading for everyone. So congratulations on that. But can I please get into your amazing dreams now, if you're okay with oh, that? Oh, thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. Let me launch right in. Let's go to the Madeline dream. Now, I, d I haven't watched Madeline like you, but from what I gather, I was able I, I'm not sure Michelle's watched it either. <laughs> I've literally not watched it either. All I know is she has a scar on her stomach, so maybe I related to it in some way. Well, she was, it was a hugely popular series, and I believe she was an orphan. 
orphan. So orphan, that's the symbol of not belonging or feel that your message is, is worthwhile or that people love and care for you. And there's maybe a part of you that identified with that at that young age, that what you had to say was being ignored or not taken care of. So that's why your dreaming mind focused on Madeline as a symbol, along with the scars later as well. But eventually, if you actually read the Madeline books or watch the series, she finds her place and she grows in confidence and finds her place using humor along the way. So that's your dreaming mind telling you to have courage and heart. You know, being an orphan or not feeling understood actually can be a source of great inner strengths. And I think that's what you found actually through not being understood. I truly believe there's a part of ourselves that our dreaming mind where we connect with that part that is our higher self, knows what's in our best interest and sees the bigger picture, our past, present and future. Now, that's quite um, a mind-blowing concept. Me being a spiritual author, a dream decoder, it's something I'm very comfortable with. Alex? No, I'm quite spiritual. I, I get it. It's a part <laughs> of I, I'm you. just the, the secular bloke here. Going, no, you're well, not. Really? He read theology. <laughs> so let's just be quiet there, Alex. You are kind of in tune with it. So that's the Madeline dream. But let's move on to the infection one. I think that's the most revealing one. And dreams that have an element of fear and anxiety tend to be the most powerful messages from your unconscious, your intuition. And it's using this symbol of infection because that is highlighting an area of suffering in your life. Infection indicates suffering, disease, something you feel is wrong. But the most powerful symbol in this dream is the infection is green. What does green represent? Green represents new beginnings. It represents independence. It represents start of something new. So what your dream is trying to do in the, in the way that dreams do, because they speak in the language of symbols and metaphors, they don't speak in our language. They speak in a different language. You've got to learn that language. They're reassuring you that what you feel is your area of suffering or what's going wrong is actually your strength. And you're doing that now. You're using areas of your life where you suffered, at, you know, as a platform to empower others. And that you've got to lose the fear. That's what that dream dream's saying. Yes, infection. Oh, my God. This is lose, fascinating. Lose the fear. Lose the fear. Go and research about green. Now, if you're infected with a different color, every color has different esoteric meanings. Green is the most healing, empowering. But crucially, it's the most courageous and independent color. So it's. See, um, I just thought it was the color of like sit. Yes. <laughs> like that. No, spirit. that's what I assumed at that age. If you, if you go to color therapists, there's a reason why green tones are used used in 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 bedrooms or whatever for the calming for the inner peace. It's the association. If you look at color color therapy, that's another huge um, journey to go on. Color therapy is very powerful. The associations, but you know, typically green is new beginnings, new shoots, positivity, creating the life that you want and independence. So this dream is actually a positive one. Most nightmares, what we think are nightmares are actually our dreaming mind just wanting us to face our fears and embrace that part of ourselves that we fear and show that actually it's here that our growth is because you don't learn and grow in your comfort zone, you learn outside of it. So your dreaming mind's going straight into your you know, you're outside your comfort zone with this. Infection is something none of us want, especially right now, um, but it's green. And you're worried about other people being infected with this independence too. It shows there's a lot of fear still that when you had this dream, there's a lot of fear about the message, how it will be received. Yeah, funnily enough, I don't have, I don't, I don't have either of those dreams anymore, but I, that, that dream stopped once I, 
Um, no, once I went to therapy, I went to a psychologist for one session when I was 11 years old and I never had that dream again. But that's because your dreaming mind didn't need to give it to you anymore because your dreams, dreaming mind is your internal therapist. It was trying to do what your therapist was doing, give you some self-understanding. That was what your dreaming mind, you have a best friend, your inner angel, your inner intuition, your inner guidance was trying to do what your therapist was doing, saying, look, what you fear is actually going to be your platform, your strength. Um, and it will give you tremendous satisfaction once you understand it. Your dreaming mind was just doing that in the language of metaphor for you. Oh, that's so fascinating. <laughs> Much cheaper as well. Yes, yes. <laughs> But also, I love the fact that, Madeline, you know, it's a light-hearted series as well. So you are doing that in a kind of jovial, light-hearted way. That's the way forward as well, to bring, you know, what you're dealing with is very deep, dark issues, but you are kind of shedding a light on it and, and bringing some humour, some much-needed lightness. I did always find it strange that I spent so long dreaming about Madeline, and then two years later I did actually end up going to boarding school. For me, what's so interesting about this conversation is how, at the beginning, for me, the dream about the green infection, I instantly saw it as a negative. I think, like you, Michelle, yeah. you saw it as a negative in these things. And then to have Teresa come in and say, green, what does green represent? And, and it's true, even on a simple psychological level, green is go, green is good, green is growth. And to have, you know, to have it I've turned on its head. I've never thought about green as go. Like, I always thought green is sick. Like yeah, it's, your dreaming yeah. mind wants you to shift that perception. But you, as you said, you went to a, a, a counsellor uh, to talk about it. That counsellor was well done. That counsellor was able to help you do that. But what I want you to know is that within you, you had that counsellor already who knew the answer and was trying to speak to you in the language of dreams. As I say to everyone listening to this podcast, you need to learn to speak a new language. If you went to France or Germany or India, you to really understand the culture, you need to learn the language. And it's exactly the same. When you enter the dream world, if you want to know the dream world, start learning the language. And that's the language of symbols and metaphors. But your personal symbols and metaphors, what it means to you. It's interesting your first thought was sick. So your dreaming mind is to say... Maybe lose the fear, make your first thought a positive rather than a negative one about anything or anyone, really. Well, I mean, even if you look at the, the sick emoji, the sick emoji is green. And like yeah. there are two sick emojis. They're both green. Exactly. <laughs> but why don't they do the, you know, at, at, a, at a traffic lights, green is go. Grass. Nature is green. How more healing and, and beautiful is spending time in nature. Green is the color of nature. Yeah. Why have we focused on sick, which is a very trivial, not trivial, but a minor thing? When there's much, I don't know. When all I around think it's my us, brain trying to make sense of it. All around us, there's trees and grass. So much bigger than a, vo a pile of vomit. <laughs> a lot nicer than that. Well, uh, thank you both for taking the podcast in uh, such a wholesome direction there uh, <laughs> with all that wonderful chat uh, about green and, and various other things. Anyway, do stay with us. Coming up in just a moment, our dream theme of the week will be relationships and dreams about your exes. That's in just a moment. Michelle. When we were talking, you said you've had some dreams about your exes, which ironically would make them your dream man. Pun aside. 
Don't say that. That's an awful self-fulfilling prophecy. (laughs) But but when you were saying that, I found it so interesting because, of course, we do dream about people in our lives, past, present and partners in particular. Um, What kind of exes is where your mind went straight away. What kind of dreams were you having around that area? Well, it's because I did a podcast recording yesterday talking about bad dates and essentially exes. And then last night I did just dream about all these past people in my life. And it happens in a number of different ways. I've had the dreams where like exes meet each other, but they're not always my ex in the dream. They're just the same person and they're a person who's in my life. Um, I've also had the dream where I've gone back into an argument that we were having and continued it on. I've also had the dream where an ex is my current boyfriend. And so I've relived a day in my life now, but with a boyfriend, but a boyfriend who very much acts the same as the person they were when I actually dated them. So So basically you swap the characters. Yeah, I feel like my brain loves to (laughs) recreate the situations with exes, which... I try not to read into it because I'm very much like, I'm the person who deletes numbers, deletes messages as soon as someone's out of my life. So I'm like, let my brain have its fun. But <laughs> when we're living in the day-to-day life, they are out of my life. Well, Teresa, I know something you, you've you always said. One of the first things, which was when Teresa and I were doing the beginning of the podcast, when Teresa, you said, dreams, no matter who's in your dream, it's a reflection of an element of yourself. And for me, that was a game changer. I presume, amateur here, that might be an element of this situation here as well? Absolutely. But, um, you know, I've had so many messages recently about cheating dreams, about meeting up with exes in dreams. I mean, people want to know what's going on. And I'm going to pick up something Michelle said that, you know, she watched a movie, I believe, and then she had a dream about elements in that movie, or she did a show about exes and dates, and then she dreamt about it. Because our dreams are always, they're like a hoover. They're looking at our our waking life and they're continuing that in the dream but they're looking for symbols they pick and choose which symbols are going to be most powerful you do dream about aspects of your waking life but you've got to think about why that aspect well I did a show about gardening the other day why isn't gardening in my dream for example but this show about dating and exes was because your dreaming mind seizes on what it thinks is going to speak to you it's always trying to speak to you Um, and interestingly just as an aside um, we all know that in in waking life it research shows that men tend to think about cheating or sex more than women however in dream world there's true equality it's absolutely equal the amount of sex or cheating dreams that women and men have and i love that that in our in our when we go asleep us girls we we dream about you know these issues just as much as men do in <laughs> in waking life so that's interesting but if you're dreaming about your ex um i mean don't freak out too much it's not you don't want to get back with your ex but it does suggest that you're still looking for closure you said that you um block so you don't want to have that conversation but there's a part of you inside that does actually want a bit more closure maybe if the same ex is is coming up you may also be um if you're starting a new relationship with someone else you may be trying to sort out issues from that last relationship yeah, but I, uh, have you dated in this society you do not get closure on any guys like there is so much ghosting you just have to make good with the fact you're not gonna get any closure so i'm not surprised they turn up in my dreams because yes actually the one who i dreamt about last night there was no closure but 
there was closure in terms of I decided there was closure at a certain point. And yes, that's when I delete their number and they can still text me. I don't block them. So they can still text me, but they don't tend to. Ghosting is is an awful modern disease, isn't it? And it's it's a coward's way out. It actually says far more about them than you. It shows that they're not mature. I totally agree. You don't actually, don't even worry about them because someone who's not mature enough to have an adult conversation is not someone you actually even want in your orbit. So... This is what I was saying on the podcast yesterday. (laughs) This is what came up in my dream was the fact that I said, they asked me about ghosting and I said, I think it's cowardly. And I, I, frankly, even if someone reappeared after they had ghosted, I wouldn't be interested anymore because it showed me a a part of your character that I don't find attractive. No, it is a part steer steer clear of the ghosters. But the fact that I'm getting so much messages about exes and cheating, whatever, shows that this is a symptom of a bigger problem. You know, ghosting has become, you know, an awful way that people treat each other these days and there needs to be more maturity. But I do want to go back to Alex's point. It's not really about your ex. It's about you. Um, and maybe you give have given a bit of too much of yourself to your previous partners your exes and you need to get that part back in your thoughts in your feelings and it's basically said return to self return to love return to self-love because maybe you did give away some of it and you haven't actually fully got it back um and that's that's quite a difficult concept um if, if you ever lost someone if someone has died in your life you give away a tremendous amount of love to someone and when they die it is excruciatingly sad but it's also an opportunity for that love to return to you and sometimes we do that in relationships as well that if there isn't sort of closure within ourselves we've still given that love to that person I mean, and it needs to be some kind of ritual or sem- ceremony to get that love back because you've given away a part of your heart you know even if that person is a loser and you realize it was a mistake you've still given over a bit of yourself well those are your words not mine <laughs> You know, it it can also um, be you having a conversation with an, an aspect of yourself. Um, you know, it, you need to strengthen the relationship. I think dreaming about exes is all about strengthening that relationship with yourself, which is what you you write about. So your dreaming mind is constantly on the alert there for any dip in that that, that relationship, that dialogue you have with yourself every day. If that's you know, See, I have a belief that it's never about the person; it's about the way they made you feel, and so. For me, that's why I think in my mind, I feel like it's over and I don't, I mean, day to day life, I don't tend to spend a lot of time thinking about. And also because I think in my dreams, there's such interchangeable exes. It's like, it doesn't actually matter who the ex is. It's just... Ex roulette. I, yeah, it's literally that. Michelle, I love this because you are basically just dream decoding for yourself. It's how your exes made you feel. That's what you miss, that feeling. So it's yeah. it's giving that feeling to yourself, which is the hardest, I think the biggest, you know, and I'm so glad that you write books about this. Self-love is the hardest journey. It's it, Everybody thinks it's easy. It's not. It's, it takes time and it's a work in, constant work in progress. You're not just there. I mean, it took me seven years. It's exactly. <laughs> and, and you've had, you know, a rough ride, you know, and everything and and it's a constant work in progress but i hope in time extremes will be a thing of the past because you are having this wonderful authentic dialogue with yourself you know trusting yourself and give making yourself feel the way that other people do that is very hard because we are social creatures and we need interaction and we need others to make us feel special sometimes but at the end of the day you're born alone and you die alone i know this sounds harsh 
the only person you can truly trust in and can truly love you as you need to be loved is yourself. Other people, you can't control that. Other people are unpredictable. They always will. But you can control the most important relationship in your life. I'm going to burst into song now like Miranda. The greatest love of all, you know, is, is, <laughs> is yourself. And it, that's, that's, that's what I think we're here on this earth to learn. So many of us struggle to love ourselves, even like ourselves. We see my role in the podcast is to take a wonderfully wholesome point like Teresa just there and just dunk it right down back into the, the nitty gritty of real life, Teresa, because I've got to ask you, that's all well and good. But when I've dreamt about cheating on a girlfriend, and I wake up in a panic and I almost go through a checklist like, did I do it? Did I do it? Oh, no, I didn't. I wasn't with Beyonce last night, <laughs> you know, or, 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 or whatever it was. Um what is going on there? Because I so, I see the X thing. I certainly see this idea of working through your feelings about how other people make you feel and the self-love. But cheating, it's almost a sense of overwhelming guilt. Why would you put yourself through that? It's rarely a sign of problems in your relationship. It is, again, an aspect of yourself. Um, perhaps you are giving more of your attention to work or, or, or there's other things you want as well that you need to that you feel that you're not giving enough of yourself to your partner it's not that you well you probably do you're a guy you fancy beyonce who wouldn't you know but that that's <laughs> what i'm saying you know that's just life you know you it's it's you know being in a committed relationship you know of course you, everybody has a roving eye it's a lie to deny that and that's what i love about dreams because dreams give us an opportunity to cheat safely right and your dreaming mind's helping you you know, role play and have all these adventures in a safe way. It is rarely a sign that your relationship is in trouble. But what it does mean is that a, you a part of yourself. You are more focused on right now than your partner. And that's what you need to look at. And it's probably work or some issue that you need to write, or something from your past that you want to come to terms with. But don't worry, it doesn't mean that you're you know, you're know, no longer in love with your partner or, or whatever. It, it really, really means that. It means more, what are you not being true to about yourself? Are you letting yourself down in some way? And having worked with you for a while, I know you are someone who is, is really quite perfectionist, as a lot of successful people are, and it's probably that. It's something that you feel you've let yourself down and your dreaming mind is using the image of symbolism of dream of dream treating to talk to you about that. Fascinating stuff. As always, Teresa, you're turning my uh, initial thoughts on their head. Teresa Chung, our dream interpreter. Thank you very much. And Michelle, of course, this has been your journey into your dreams. So now we come to the close of the podcast. I'm very curious about which bits stood out for you the most. It made me really reevaluate, especially the childhood dreams, where I, it makes a lot of sense considering what I was going through at the time. I think also, even if you just think about the fact that all this, all the events I was going through were almost like not, not appropriate for my age, but like not that going through surgeries is, it's not very sure. common for my age. And so I guess my brain was trying to figure out a way to have those feelings and all of those things while not being able to really make sense of the real world. Um, and when it comes to the exes, I, I don't know, maybe it's the really stubborn part of me being like, nope, I don't think about them anymore. Nope. <laughs> but, um, 
I don't know. I also think an element of it is I'm so bored in lockdown. And you know what? Sometimes it's really nice to have a daydream or a night dream. Just thinking about a time in your life where you had a bit more drama and excitement and maybe chaos. <laughs> <laughs> what is life without a little chaos? That's what I say. Uh, Michelle Elman, it's been a real privilege to speak to you. Wonderful energy you've brought to the show. Thank you so much. And thank you for letting us into your dreams. Thank you so much. In Your Dreams was a Reva Media production hosted and devised by Alex Morgan. Thank you very much for listening. Please do subscribe on all major podcast platforms. It's been great having you with us and I look forward to seeing you next time.